Welcome to the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast. On this podcast, let's step aside from our busy lives to have fun, fascinating, life-giving conversation with inspiring authors, pastors, sports personalities, and other influencers, leaders, and followers. Sit back, grab some coffee, or head down the road, and let's get the good and gold from today's guest. Here's Jeff Pinkleton, Executive Director of the Gathering of the Miami Valley, where their mission is to connect men to men and men to God. Hello, friends. Welcome again today to another edition of the Pinkleton Pull Aside Podcast, where we like to talk all things life, leadership, lessons therein, and we tend to do that in the spaces of books, of sports, of comedy, of music, leadership. We'll get into men's ministry, all kinds of things. And today we're doing that in a couple of those areas. We're doing it with men's ministry and books as our guest. And my friend Pat Morley has written quite a few books. And uh, I'm really encouraged that uh, Friday, before we taped this a few days ago, we had a cancellation. And I was thinking, okay, in a perfect world, who would I get? And the first name that came to my mind of previous guests was Pat Morley. And he was easy. You were easy like Sunday morning. Pat, thanks for joining us again. Jeff, quite an honor. Quite an honor. Thank you. Amen. Well, hey, I want to get into you with you right away. I, I think I told you I listened yesterday to our previous podcast, and uh, I felt like I was hearing it for the first time, just really ministered to. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for using Pat's words and just your heart. And I would say there was one word that really came to my mind a lot thinking about you, and then a second one, not as significant as the first, but still significant, and it's favor. God's favor, and then also focus. Do you feel like those are strongly attached to you, your life, your ministry? Well, I don't feel like they're any more attached to me than anybody else. I just take advantage of them. Mm. Yeah. Well, it reminds me of a quote, and I thought about you related to this. A friend of mine recently said, who is, uh, I'm sure you're this to many people, and you have people in your life who are like this to you that you spend time with certain people and you're like, wow, I just spent time with Jesus because that's just who they are. And this guy said, there is all of Jesus we could ever want. Yeah. How do you feel about that statement? So explain what it means. And then I'll comment. <laughs> well, I just look at it that he's so full and I'm probably putting on an A.W. Tozer hat, like knowledge of the Holy. You're talking about the person you were talking about full of Jesus. Well, yeah, no, sure. just Jesus is a, as available to us. There's so yeah. much of him to dive into. We can have all we want. We'll probably never, obviously, experience all that he is clearly. But there's always more for the taking. Yeah, so I have this year really been focused on the idea that I want to consciously walk in the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. And so we all know that we can walk in the presence and the power of the Spirit. I would say that the Holy Spirit is my best friend. And here's the thing. Jesus is the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit of Jesus. And so what I've been focusing on is just consciously, moment by moment, and of course nobody can do this perfectly, right? but just consciously walking in the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, which is the same thing as bringing yourself into the real presence of Jesus and then asking him to walk and abide with you as you try to walk and abide in him. Does that make any sense? It makes total sense. I mean, I'm 53 years old as, as of this taping, and I, I just keep thinking about, I got asked to send a note to one of our staff members at our church, 
as they go on a staff retreat this week, and I just made a little list of some things for our youth pastor that things I, I know that I know that I know to be true. Pretty simple, mm-hmm. not trying to be overly preachy, but I said, yeah. I have plumbed the depths of Jesus in the last couple of years way more than any point in my life. And I just really regret not diving in deeper to who Jesus is, even as a guy in ministry, a guy who loves the Lord. And I feel like he's fresh to me in a new way in my fifties that I didn't experience before. So yeah, I mean, it makes total sense. Yeah. And I think anybody that's pursuing God feels that way every passing year. I feel like, Oh my gosh, I, I had no idea because as you say, it's limit, he's limitless. He's, he's boundless. Uh, it's interesting because I've been uh, dealing with a, a little bit of a conflict, uh, personal conflict here lately, and it's just fascinating how Jesus has been ministering to me, and in uh, the Word, has also been ministering to me. I have a whole list of governing scriptures uh, that I have in a separate file, but one of them has been very pertinent to me. Just in fact, I was reviewing it again yesterday. And it's First Peter chapter two, verses nineteen and following, and uh, it says, "For it is commendable when someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering." And so I feel like I've been going through some unjust suffering. So it's commendable when one bears up under that, right? Because they are conscious of God. So there's that word conscious. So I'm trying to consciously walk in the presence of power of the Holy Spirit. And then it goes on in First Peter. Chapter 2, verse 20. But how is it you're credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable mm. before God. Now, here's, here's the coup de grace. Verse 21. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin. No deceit was found in his lips. They hurled insults at him, and he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. And so just the uh, the idea of, okay, if, if you can't retaliate, if you, if you can't set the record straight, if you can't defend yourself, what do you do? Well, you just throw yourself on the grace and mercy of Jesus, and then so the relationship really grows he sort of carries you along. I feel like Jesus has been carrying me for about six months. So that ties in. You talked about the last year and knowing and knowing Jesus and growing in a way that we are, you know, I use the term plumbing the depths like never before. No. I'd, I'd sent on a script I sent you, you know, maybe since we last talked 13, 14 months ago, what is something significant that's left its mark on your life in, in a powerful way? Is that it? Or is there something else in your life where you can point to and say, wow, in this past year, I've experienced God or I'm further mature in him because of X. Well, I do think suffering compels us to seek the God that success makes us think we don't need. Mm. And so I do think that this issue that I've been dealing with is uh, it's made me a more introspective, more sensitive person. Yeah, that's the answer. We used to talk about retirement a lot in in ministry world and church world, and obviously there's no support in scripture about retirement. And you know, just no, no disrespect to people who go playing golf. My dad plays a lot of golf in retirement, but just hitting a golf course and doing that, or sitting around, you know, counting money or or doing whatever it is. And I, I just feel like there, you know, when we talk about daily improvement, gradually improving every day, it just seems to be you. You're like you're never 
satisfied with who you are and where you are in Christ. There's more. Do you get people say commenting to you about that a lot, just where they see that in you? Yeah, I do. The thing again is, is that I'm just, I'm not seeking any, anything in particular. I'm just trying to be faithful to what I read in scripture. First Corinthians chapter four, verse two, it's the mindset of a steward. It says now to whomever has been given a trust, they must be found, what, successful? No, it doesn't say that. Uh, now to whomever has been given a trust, they must be found faithful. And so I think that the test at the judgment has one question on it, and that is, uh, were you faithful? And so since to whomever has been given a trust, they must be found faithful, the question for me is, okay, well, what does faithful actually look like then? Amen, Speak to that. Yeah, I just think it's everything that comes out of love, loving God and loving people. Uh, these two commands hang all the law and the prophets, everything. And so I do think that seeking to love God with the totality of my being, every ounce of uh, my energy, the sum of my strength, uh, that to bring an intensity and an intentionality to the loving of God, that's the, that's the primary focus. I was doing a devotion to, we have a, a field staff and we had some new men in town for training and they asked me to do a devotion last week. And so I did it on uh, Luke 10, 38 to 42, which is the passage where Mary and Martha, Jesus is traveling around with his disciples and Mary and Martha invite him for, for dinner. And Mary and Martha are the sisters of Lazarus. And later he he's, you know goes through this death and Jesus raises him and so I picture that one of the disciples that's traveling around with Jesus is Lazarus. And Lazarus probably says, hey, hey, my two sisters live, live right over there. Why don't we go over there and see if we can get some dinner? And so they invite him in. And it says, you know, uh, that Mary sat at the feet of Jesus, listening to him speak to his logos, to the word. They were, she was listening to the word. And then the scripture also says that, that Martha was distracted by all the preparations for the dinner. Now, did somebody need to make dinner? Of course, but, it, but, but she was distracted by all the preparations, all the things that need to be, needed to be done. And the word preparations there is the word diaconia from which we get deacon and serving and so forth. So Mary was at the feet of Jesus listening to the Logos and Martha was doing the, the service, the, diac, the deacon work, the diaconia. And we need both, right? But then Martha says to Mary, uh, to Jesus, you know, Mary, you know, tell her to come help me. And Jesus said, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen that and it will not be taken from her. And so the big idea from that text I think is Mary first, there will be plenty of time for Martha mm. to, to spend that time when you have the opportunity to spend that time with Jesus. There'll be plenty of time to do all the serving and the other things. In fact, Martin Luther, you may remember this, that once had said at least that he said one time, I have so much to do today. It's going to take me three hours of prayer to get it all done. Amen. No doubt. Yeah. So you, you mentioned in our last podcast, and like I said, I went back and listened to it again yesterday and was taking some notes, and you talked about your three dials of your dashboard where you've got these three 
questions you go to often, and you've already talked about really two of them. One, what does faithfulness look like? Two, what does the master need? Which I absolutely love that question. Three, what would love do in this particular situation? And you, you acknowledge you're going through a bit of a, a, a tough season of, of kind of feeling like maybe being slighted, maybe being hurt, maybe being... Um, now you're putting the, words in my mouth. <laughs> okay, well, let's okay, let's don't get too... But my point would be this. I listened to a podcast with a prominent pastor and also a prominent author. They both use the phrase what does love require and really kind of using that as a lens that ties in really well to your, your third point there about what would love do in a situation. Do you think in Christian culture right now in, in a really good way, are we kind of getting refocused on loving in people loving in given situations, maybe to a degree that we've never done before as the body of Christ, are we growing in that specifically in American culture? I don't know. Uh, it seems to me that, Every generation has the same problems, and we call them by different names. Mm. To me, the core affections of the human heart, they don't change. So whether you're 18 or 80 years of age, that's why you can read the book of Psalms or the book of Ecclesiastes or the, or the book of Proverbs and say, they're talking about me. Yes. <laughs> you know, they're talking about me. And so... Yes, cultures change and the the issues of the day change. I was reading this morning about the, the story of the Levite who had the woman and he cut her into 12 pieces and sent her all over Israel. And I'm thinking, wow, I mean, that's, I mean, the, the, and, and, and she had been abused physically all night long until she was dead. So, yeah, we have lots of evil things going on, but it, it's always been that way. And then in terms of people falling prostrate before God, whether it's Moses or Elijah or Peter or whomever, people have always wanted to worship God, have always wanted to know him and love him. So the question was, do, do I think we are getting more, more that way? I don't know. Uh, I will say I do think that the church is in a season of chastening and uh, perhaps renewal. And I have a, a hypothesis about it. But of course, I'm just one person and it's just an opinion, but I'll go ahead and give it to you. Please. I do think that over the last 25 to 50 years, or maybe longer, there are some expressions of faith, some forms of expression of faith that have emerged that really are not worth defending. And so I do think that God is cleansing his bride and allowing some chastening to take place, some pruning to take place. So we've seen the rise of the nuns and the duns and the unchurched and the dechurched and so forth. And my my thinking is, is that well, that may not be such a bad thing after all. Mm. Well, let's hop into your book. So you got a kind of a re-release, if we want to call it that, A Man's Guide to the Spiritual Disciplines. Uh, you sent me the uh, kind of PDF version of that um, over the weekend or late Friday, and I thought, ooh, I hope I can get some of this done. And I was able to get about 40% of it done, and then I was able to kind of skip through and look at the – You do a, I love how you lay out books with some questions, some kind of key points of the chapter. You've done that really well in a lot of your books. I want to land first in, in God's word. You have clearly been an example. We talked about it in the last podcast 
I think it's 35 plus years you've read the Bible through each year and said nothing even comes a close second to that experience in your life. I think in the gathering, we've taken my day job, connecting men to men and men to God. We've really ramped up in the last nine to 12 months. You have this line in there I really like. You say a Christian without a Bible study group is like a violinist without an orchestra, a football player without a team, or a businessman without a company. Because you really think that God's word, while we take it in ourselves, and that's time set aside, quiet time each day with the Lord, we need to be doing that together. Explain that great statement there. Elaborate on that for us. So I have a a sentence, not in this particular book, uh, a different book, that says, a Bible, a small group, and serving someone else will solve 90% of your problems. Now, that's a generalization, right? And we use generalizations uh, all the time because they're generally true, not always. But And there are obviously lots of other things that we need to have in place in order to solve our problems. But what I've discovered in these decades of working with men is that if a guy will get those three things straight, then, yeah, some other things have to happen. But pretty much everything will fall into place if he is in the word for himself if he's doing life together with a group of guys in a small group and he's uh, serving others and not just focused on his own problems. So with that said, yeah, I think being in a small group is, is crucial to really unpacking the word. I know, of course, I've been in uh, small groups my entire life, some of which have lasted 30 years and more. And uh, by the way, I prefer one-on-ones as opposed to it's just my own personality. I like to get one-on-one and go deep with somebody. But, and I had a guy who was 30 years my senior <laughs> that I met with for over 30 years. He's the longest of the run, running of, the, of those relationships. Is that, is that your relationship with, is it Jim Seifert? Jim was about 20, uh, was 20 plus years when he passed away from uh, kidney failure. But uh, my other friend was, his name was Ken. And so both of those guys, wow. there was overlap in there, but Here's the thing. I told Ken one day, I said, you know, I know that God is real because I can see him in you. And there's just something about, you know, you can see a a, a picture of a place you'd like to visit and say, oh, wow, that is fantastic. But when you actually go there, the picture never does it justice. And I think it's the same way with understanding God and reading about him in the word. I think when you see him lived out in the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in the life of another person, just makes God come more alive. So yes, guys, if you're listening, if you could only do one thing, read the word for yourself. But if you could do two things, be in a small group with some other guys. And if you can do three things, serve somebody else. And by the way, if you can do four things, pray with and for your wife. So if you're married. So, so from the start of your infant stages of dreaming about man in a mirror as a ministry to you doing it, get it going, David Delk, Brett Clemmer, bunch of area directors now, how would you grade man in the mirror as far as what you had hoped and thought and wanted for that ministry to now as far as men falling in love with God's word? I think man in the mirror, first of all, I mean, I was a real estate developer down here in central Florida. And so, I mean, I never envision anything particularly like this, but uh, I did receive a calling to take God's message of love to a broken generation in 1987, so a long time ago. 
and left business in 1991 to start Man in the Mirror. It became clear very early on that the need was much larger than the potential contributions of a single generation of leaders. So from the beginning, I I felt like God was leading me to design Man in the Mirror to be an enduring organization that could survive uh, through multiple generations of leadership. So my guiding principle has always been make myself dispensable. In other words, I've, I've increased my ministry by helping other people increase their ministries. That's been my, my basic model. So I would say that Man in the Mirror is basically the story of setting and reaching a BHAG. We had a BHAG of impacting 10 million men. And anyway, we met that. And, and uh, now Brett Clemmer is doing a wonderful job resetting for a new BHAG and uh, a whole new generation of younger leaders. Now, we have leaders of all ages, but we're, what we're trying to do is we're trying to raise up, we're trying to raise up a new generation of Christian guys who really love God and uh, want to serve Him and be godly husbands, men, fathers. See, it's exciting thinking about if eons from now, between Man in the Mirror and outside of Man in the Mirror, your impact. If we had a whole bunch of guys, you know, when I say a whole bunch, whatever that number looks like, of people who've said the last thirty-five years. I've been reading my Bible like that every day and going through the Word of God start to finish each year. I mean, that's that's revival in and of itself. So I, I love your heart for that and where that can get duplicated out over others. One of the things in the book you talk about that I feel like the church is kind of re-embracing again, but it, it's a tricky one, is Sabbath. You know, you, you have a quote in there, I think, that says, a man who doesn't honor the Sabbath, who doesn't invest any time celebrating his place in God's family, will succumb to stress. Now, obviously, I guess we could make a Sabbath look a little differently based on people's, you know, it can become a legalistic thing, I guess, on some level. But speak to Sabbath and maybe how that's fleshed out in your life and why men listening to this, or even women, need to encourage that, uh, you know, amongst families, amongst couples, and and us as individuals. Well, I think probably most of uh, our listeners today already know how stressful the world is, so we don't need to talk about that. Our children growing up wanted to, uh, I'm thinking of our daughter, she's our oldest. And I remember the the time that she didn't want to get up for church and to participate, you know, in the Sabbath. And so my wife, being the genius that she is, she said, uh, uh, that's okay. You you know, we're going to let you take responsibility for your life if you're too tired to get up and go to church on Sunday morning, then you just won't be able to go out on Saturday night. And so guess how many times that happened? Twice. (laughs) Once to test it, and the second time, oh, they really mean this. (laughs) And so the principle is that sometimes you have to substitute discipline for lack of natural interest. And our children can repeat this to this day all the time. In fact, sometimes... I still say it to them, even though they're grown adults, and they'll say, yeah, yeah, dad, we know sometimes you have to substitute discipline for a lack of natural interest. I understand there are lots of distractions, lots of other things to do, but it's not, I believe in all nine of the 10 commandments, you know? Mm. (laughs) I want people to let that sink in for a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. Have you, how long have you modeled Sabbath? Well, the, the scriptures tell us that some people think of one day as special 
and other people think of every day the same. So I've always had daily Sabbath. Mm. I Sabbath every day. And the way I do it is, and this is just me, you know, I'm a morning person. Some people might enjoy being with God, you know, at a particular time of the day or all day long, maybe take a lunch break or before they go to bed. But anyway, when I when I get up, my plan is that I'm going to spend time with God and I'm not going to leave until I have had a palpable experience of the presence uh, of the Holy Spirit. I call it the awe gap. Just that moment of awe. It could be a quiet thing. It could be reading a scripture. It could be a moment in prayer. It could be thinking about somebody who really is uh, having a hard time. It could be somebody who's struggling with their gender or their understanding of marriage or whatever it is, an addiction of some kind, and thinking and praying about them and just to the point of being overwhelmed. I do take one day a week and I have for 11 years for prayer and fasting. Now, I still work, but I fast. I'm, in fact, I'm doing it right now. And then sometime during the day, I have a, a list of people that I pray for. It started out as a list of uh, prodigal children, sons and daughters, who had become duns, you know, or walked away, or maybe had never embraced the, the faith of their parents. And so I've got a, a long list of over 70 prodigals wow. that I pray for. And then I have a lot of other people that I pray for as well now. And so that's a special kind of a day for me. I consider that to be a Sabbath when I take that day of fasting and prayer. What's great is I hope people don't miss it because I, I don't want to miss it. I think what you do that a lot of people, and I, I've been guilty of this, probably don't do is in that daily time with the Lord, not leaving until you have that awe gap. And I really like how you said that because that could be in a scripture, that could be a thought God gives you, that could be a moment where you drift off to someone and get to spend time praying for that person that maybe wasn't on your agenda to pray for. And yeah, I'm going to make note of that, the awe gap that don't don't leave until you get there. Yeah, now I understand that some people, because of young children, because of starting times and so forth, that may not be possible. So I don't want to cry, try to set that up as something that is a uh, an unachievable tradition that makes people feel like they're not performing. You know, you sure. don't have to do any of that for it to have God love you unconditionally, totally and completely, and to extend his grace to you. But on the other hand, you know, if you are, how I got started in this, when I did have young children, I was watching TV from, let's say, eight to 10 after the kids went to bed. And I was thinking, gosh, this is not exactly edifying. So I decided to go to bed at eight o'clock and get up at four and give those two hours to God instead of getting giving them to TV. And I've been doing that now for over over 35 years, I guess. And so it really has made a dramatic difference. Now, guess what? I have more time for TV now, so I do watch a little TV, yeah. right? I enjoy that. But uh, I still am able to have my couple hours in the morning. What's interesting about what you just said, I, I included a note because our youth pastor, I wrote this note to him. I talked about sports and I said, I know you and I both love sports. And I said, as you get older, at least for me, you realize there's great life lessons, there's processes, there's leadership, there's teamwork, there's humility you learn. But I said, I don't think many people are going before holy God if they were sincerely following him. 
and making sports, they, they're probably wishing they spent less time with it. Between fantasy, watching it, talking about it, reading about it, whatever, it could just become an obsession that, you know, the older I get, I've seen it in the last several years, just not caring about it as much. I feel like you make things so accessible. You reiterate things at times, not in an overdone, okay, you've already told me that story, but in a way that I need to hear it again. And some of your books have some duplication that way with stories or moments or quotes. And it just, it does my heart really good. I want to move to, so we don't miss it. You talk. You want to know why I repeat things so much? (laughs) This could be funny. I know that. Yeah. So when you read the Bible, what does it do? What does it do? It just keeps hammering on a few major themes. It keeps repeating itself over and over and over and over again in so many different ways. And I think God knows that he needs to do that because basically most of us are kind of slow. Sure. There's no doubt about that. So one of the things you talk about in the book I don't want to miss is you talk about counsel. So we all need, especially as men, I think, but everybody, we need wise counsel. And you have a quick sentence in here. You said, most people do not want counsel. They want permission. I see that over and over and over. People are coming to you, and basically they may hear you to the nth degree, but they either don't want to be obedient. They don't want it to be a discipleship thing. They, they were looking for you to approve of whatever they want to go do. Elaborate on that and why, in your experience, that is a big problem. And, and also a big opportunity as well. So if you're listening today and uh, you realize that maybe you've been doing this, you might want to just do a little self-examination on it. Yeah, so a made-up mind is almost impossible to change. And I've discovered over the years that basically people do what they want. And so often in when somebody's coming to me and asking for advice, I'm trying to figure out if they've already decided what they want to do. And they're just looking for someone to tell them that it's okay to do what they want to do, or they actually are looking for advice. So you're standing at a fork in the road and you're trying to figure out if you should should go to the left or to the right. That's what counseling, that's when you need counseling. You're, you're, you're at the fork in the road. You go to the left, you go to the right. Well, think about how many possible combinations there are. You may have a strong desire to go to the left, but you're not sure it's the right way to go. Or you might have a strong desire to go to the left and it's exactly, you know, you prayed about it, you just feel strong about it. You don't need counsel. But what if you want to go to the left, but you're not sure it's actually the correct way. And then, so you do you go to somebody and try to sell them on why it should be okay for you to go to the left? Or do you go to somebody and ask them, hey, here's what I'm thinking. I have this strong inclination. This is what I really want to do but I'm not sure it's the right thing to do. Can you help me tease out what are the pluses and minuses of going left, the pluses and minuses of going right? And uh, so, yeah, I mean, we could say a lot more about it, but the idea of helping men and women too, for that matter, uh, understand whether they are just looking for permission or they're actually looking for counsel. Yeah, and I like how you approach that for the person giving the counsel, not from the person asking for the counsel there. So I want to play a little fun, like, lunch-type deal. If I'm going to lunch with your wife, Patsy, with Brett Klemmer, who I know, and if Jim Seifert, who's a close friend, was around, and I could say, all right, give me consensus, three words to describe Pat Morley. What would they combine, come up with as three words to describe you? Well, I would hope that the words would be integrity, and humility and faithfulness. I, you know, my life word is integrity. As far as I know, I've only ever done one thing that I knowingly did that lacked integrity. Now I've made errors in judgment all that time, but 
but at least I do them in good faith. But integrity is my life word. Senator Alan Simpson once said, if you have integrity, nothing else matters. Mm. If you don't have integrity, nothing else matters. So integrity is to me like the number one thing. And then uh, I would say uh, humility would be the second thing that I hope people would say about me. And that is that, you know, I don't really, I have no agenda except God's agenda. You probably can find people who think I've been overly ambitious or pushed an agenda or something like that. But I, I, I believe that I've, whatever I've done in my career, both careers, that I've done after uh, seeking God's plan, purpose, and will. And, and then the third thing is just faithfulness. Uh, the, uh, God's not going to ask you know, about our successes. He's going to ask about our faithfulness. I want to hear the well done, good, and faithful servant. You know, that's, that's the big thing. Well, we won't elaborate on this, but we were talking offline a little bit about Tim Keller. And, you know, when I thought of him over the weekend of, of him passing away here recently, I thought, well, I'm, I'm pretty sure Tim Keller heard those six words. And what a great reminder. I, I, I try, I've always tried to look at people's death, whether they knew Jesus or they didn't, and say, what can I learn from it? And um, I'm, I'm pretty confident Pat Morley is more than on his way to hearing those great six words. So, See, that's just the thing. It's not on the basis of performance. Yeah. You know, because... I believe that there will be people in heaven who have done menial work faithfully. And I believe that there will be people that uh, maybe they're in heaven, but by the skin of their teeth, they did great things, but they weren't as faithful as they could have been in doing those things. They were poor stewards of what God had entrusted to them. Uh, they're, they're like the ones escaping through the fire. They built with wood, hay, and stubble. Well, see, if we take what you're saying and compile it all up in the last this podcast and the last one for you, you take faithful, focused, and favor. I don't know how you're not getting fruitful out of that equation. I mean, and not to make it an equation. Again, I'm not. No, don't want to play. You know, some kind of game here, and you know, tell God what He has to do, or okay, make it a formula, and here's how we check all the boxes. But I mean, clearly, I think those three things describe you well, and the fruit is a natural, you know, overlay of that. I don't want to miss this before we leave. So you have a great, great quote, and I've heard you say it before. I don't think you said it on the last podcast, but you definitely said it in books and whatever. And you say, it's kind of one of your guiding principles. My worst day with Jesus has been infinitely better than my best day without him. That has such an evangelical thrust to me. Like you could go fill up stadiums and say something like that in a Billy Graham crusade. And I think people could come forward on that alone. Encourage people with that statement, why that means what it means to you. Well, if Billy Graham said it, I think they would, but, but I'm not Billy Graham. So. so I teach this Bible study, as you know, and I've been doing that for a long, long time. And uh, we podcast that. And so I have a big idea. I, I teach one point. I have one point messages. I call it the big idea. And then I build around it. So this was a big idea for one of my messages. And I said, you know what? I really think that's my life story, that my, my worst day with Jesus has been infinitely better than my best day without him. So there is an evangelical piece in there, too, because of the word infinite. Somebody who doesn't know Jesus, it doesn't make any difference how successful they are. I don't know the spiritual faith of some of the wealthiest people, most notable people that you see in the news all the time. But honestly, if I never did anything, and I know Jesus, if I never did anything of significance in the world, and I know Jesus, I still am going to be infinitely better off 
than the, the richest, most accomplished person who ever lived who doesn't know Jesus. So that's the idea there. Let's wrap with this. If you had a big whiteboard behind you right there with that lion, I see a lion in your background. My my son's sports teams are all the lions at the Christian school he goes to. And you had a big whiteboard, and it said, my hope is, just thinking about where we are in 2023, what is your great hope right now, Pat? Uh, wholesale spiritual revival and awakening in America. Say so wholesale I, spiritual revival in revival. America. In America, I mean that's that's been the that's been my uh, dream for the whole time. My hope for the whole time is that men and women cannot manufacture revival. It has to be a work of the Spirit. So it's a matter of prayer, but then also doing everything humanly possible to create the environment and the culture so that uh, God, if He yeah. so chose to do it, could send revival. But we we are we need in this in this United States we've not really had a great awakening uh, since the Second Great Awakening. Uh, we're we're long overdue for a wholesale. Now we've had a sporadic and episodic revivals and awakenings. Uh, the one at Asbury College most recently, and they're beautiful. But I'm talking about a wholesale spiritual revival and awakening. A Second Corinthians seven fourteen kind of revival. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. That kind of a thing, heal the whole land, kind of a thing. So the divisions, you know, you were talking about being more loving. I'm talking about pouring out the love mm. of God through the power of the Holy Spirit on people, so that they are they are doing like they used to do in the Logan, Kentucky revivals. They are falling flat on their face and and they're crying out to God, God, forgive me. You know, and they're feeling this overwhelming sense of his love and his grace and his mercy to the point they 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 are compelled to forgive their neighbor. They are compelled to love their neighbor. They are compelled to set aside differences. They're compelled to actually seek solutions to the problems instead of just trolling each other and the things, some of the things that we see going on now. I think it, it's a great need. I don't know if we'll ever see it in our lifetime, but that's my hope. That's what I hope for, a wholesale spiritual revival and awakening. Well, I uh, w we need more folks like you having the, the endurance, the longevity, the faithfulness, um, uh, uh, being close to holy God who loves them and cares deeply for them. And, and um, you know, Pat, I think I said it to you uh, in an email yesterday that, that I know – I'm being discipled in a podcast like this right now. And that's, that's encouraging my heart. And, you know, it would be fun to see over the course of a year. You know, if you look at basketball, they coming back from halftime, a lot of times you'll see the shot chart of where people shot from on the court and where they made it. And of course, it should be more buckets made close to the basket. I would love to see what that looks like in, in your life with deposits, one-on-one, -on -one, one-shot deals, in a Bible study with hundreds of people, talking to the staff, a man in the mirror, meeting with publishers, whatever it is. I, I can't imagine that there wouldn't be all kinds of whatever color dots we want to call those, blue, red, green, whatever they would be. You pick your favorite color, but lots and lots of deposits, and there's been multiple around me. So I'm grateful to God for you. And uh, I, I want to schedule when we get off here a phone call. I, I feel like there's some stuff I'd like to pick apart in private, me and you, a little bit that could better serve me as a man and a, and a leader. So we can do that. I would love to do that. I'm one of your biggest fans. I always have been. I love you. I appreciate you. Uh, I love you too. Uh, I respect what you're trying to do. You've had a great ministry. You have a great ministry. 
And I still think you haven't played your best music yet, wow. personally. Well, I played violin when I was like in fifth and sixth grade. And <laughs> no, my, my music teacher didn't try to convince me to stick around when I gave it up. So I'm still pretty good at the flutophone. You give me a flutophone, Mary Had a Little nope. Lamb. I tell my kids all the time. I did them. not know that you were a literalist or I would have <laughs> said it differently. <laughs> I'm just, I, you know, I tell people all the time, if I could do any one thing in life, one time, just one time, the, the sky's the limit. I want to know what it's like to be someone like Bono, Mick Jagger, Toby Mac, you name the person, give me the stage just one time to feel what that would feel like to get to sing, to get to have that kind of gift. And you know, you hear people talk about the crowd response and just, you know, that kind of moment. I hope it's not driven out of ego. I just think that would be a fun thing. So when you say music, you, you, you speak to my heart there, Pat Morley. So thank you again. I look forward to number three episode when we bring you back. And uh, this book gets re-released. What's the date? So people know. It just came out. It just came out. And uh, a man's guide to the spiritual disciplines. And I added a, I, not only did I update it, but I expanded it as well and have a nice guide in the back to help each, each man who reads it develop their own personal plan for uh, spiritual disciplines in their life. So check it out. That's something we'll unpack more next time because I know we did not get to that rule of life and things like that. So Pat, as always, great to talk to you and we'll be looking forward to next time. Thanks, friends. Thank you for joining us on the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast. You can reach Jeff at gatheringmiamivalley.org or find us on Facebook at The Gathering of the Miami Valley. Join us again next week for another honest and rich conversation. The Rise FM Podcast Network.